Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, we study the uh, Old Testament on Wednesdays, and on Sundays, we study the New Testament. Uh, and so uh, that we study the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, uh, precept upon precept. And in so doing, we have the full counsel of the Word of God. So here we are in the book of Deuteronomy. This is uh, uh, the fifth book of Moses, uh, the Pentateuch, you know, like the Pentagon, the shape of the Pentagon, five shapes. So we have the Penta Pentateuch. It's the fifth book of Moses. Uh, it is uh, uh, the last book of the Torah. So when we're done with Deuteronomy, you would have had our studies through Genesis to Deuteronomy and the Torah. Um, this is also referred to as a somewhat of a like a memoirs of Moses. Um, memoirs of Moses being like, uh, um, do you remember how, like in Paul's letters, when we study the New Testament, how in the book of Acts, we see the, the hands and the feet of Paul and how he goes and town to town, how he has his bubble of, of, uh, the, the next generation of pastors and elders and ministry leaders. But then we read his letters and you see like, wow, it's not just the hands and the feet. It's the heart of Paul as he pours out into the church, as he pours out into the saints. Well, we get that same uh, 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 same thing in the book of Deuteronomy as Moses pours out his heart to Israel. It's also referred to as the memoirs of Moses or the discourses of Moses. If you look really quick in Deuteronomy chapter 32, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 44, says this, Deuteronomy 32, verse 44, so Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. See, he's, he's pouring his heart out. And here at the end of Deuteronomy, he's all done. And then he says this in verse 46. He says, and he said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. See, Moses is on one side of the river and he's with Israel and Israel is about to cross over. But Moses cannot go. Moses cannot pass over. All of that first generation must die. Now, I say all, but except for two, except for two, Caleb and Joshua. And so we're going to look at that today in our, in our study in Deuteronomy 1. But understand, you see, this first generation must die before passing over, before passing over into the promised land. But it's the exact same way for us. Not with carnal eyes, but with spiritual eyes. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And in Him, we gain paradise. Now, in order for us to gain paradise... What happens? The first generation of you and me must die, which means what? We need to be born again. You see, we're born of the flesh. We come out of our mother's womb. We're born in the flesh. We're born into Adam. Now, there is a second birth that happens to the believer. It's called being born again. 
Now, at any time in this message, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, now whatever conviction that is, it might be conviction of sin, it might be comfort, it might be an assuring of living water. And if you're not a believer, hit pause and you listen listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. The same applies if you're playing games with the Lord. If you're lukewarm, the same thing applies. Let today be the day of salvation. And then you come back and you listen. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come back and you listen to our study through Deuteronomy. Old Testament on Wednesdays. New Testament on Sundays. And so let's get started in Deuteronomy. It's very important to understand. We're going to see some overlap to the book of Numbers. Because it's kind of like when you read the Old Testament and you read um, the Kings and the Chronicles, you read first Kings, second Kings, and then you read first Chronicles and second Chronicles. And you're like, wait a second. I read this already. Well, first Kings and second Kings, that's an account uh, before captivity. Now, first Chronicles and second Chronicles, it's the account kind of looking back, but it's after captivity. So it's similar situations, but you get a deeper understanding from a different Israel. You get a deeper understanding from a different perspective. And that's what we see here. We, we're going to look at passages that we've already studied in Numbers. We have this base plate in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. We have this nice base plate. But now we're going to get a first-person perspective, and that's from Moses. Sometimes you see like overlap that we have in Corinthian, our study in well, Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, all the epistles of Paul. Because in the book of Acts, we see... His hands and feet, the things that he says, where he goes, the things that he does. We see those things in the book of Acts. But then when we start to read the epistles, we get a different perspective where Paul in those situations is pouring out to the people. So you see this overlap of time where Paul exposes his heart during situations that we looked at in the book of Acts. Well, we have that exact same thing here in the book of Deuteronomy because we're going to look at things that we've studied already. That we have this base plate of knowledge. We've seen the hands and the feet. And we've seen experientially what happens with Israel. What the Lord says. But then in Deuteronomy, we're going to see the perspective of Moses. His exhortation to the people to retain these things. To hold on to them because they're passing over into the promised land. They're passing over to the promised land of milk and honey. And so we get started here in Deuteronomy verse 1, last book of the Torah. Verse 1. If you're listening for the first time and you're wondering why I take these long pauses, it's because I need to drink tea, hot tea. Uh, And so here in verse 1, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. So there's no crossing yet, no crossover yet. He says, in the plain opposite Suf between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. It is, in verse 2, it is 11 days journey from Horeb. Now, Horeb is Mount Sinai. Horeb is Mount Sinai. He says, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Sair to Kadesh Barnea. Now, this is the region south of the waters near Jerusalem. He says in verse 3, now it came to pass in the 40th year. In the 40th year. So wait a second. Verse 2 says it's an 11 days journey. And verse 3 says, how come it came to pass in the 40th? 
Why is an 11-day journey becoming 40 years? Now, we've studied that. We know why. Because in Numbers 32, verse 13, it's revealed that the Lord was angry. The Lord was angry with Israel because they were afraid. Where the Lord says, go into Canaan. Go in, you're going to fight the Canaanites. And remember, the recon team came back and says, whoa, these guys are huge. We can't beat them. We're afraid. And that fear was endemic and it spread through the camp and Israel began to be afraid. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to go. We don't want to go. Well, the Lord was angry. He, the Lord even referred to it as unbelief. Unbelief in the camp of Israel. And we, that's an account what we read uh, in, in Numbers 32, verse 13, how the Lord was angry. And so he chastised Israel. This 11-day journey, as is revealed here in verse 2, other passages as well. But this 11 days journey becomes forty in the 40th year. In the 40th year, they're at Kadesh Barnea, by way of Mount Sayyid to Kadesh Barnea. That's the 11-day 11, 11 journey. But yet in the 40th year, in the 11th month, so it's like at the end, in the 11th month, so practically 41 years. In the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. You see, everything in accordance. So the Lord gave it to Moses. Moses gives it to the people. He says in verse 4, After he had killed Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt at Ashtaroth in Edrei. Now, these are things that we've studied in the book of Numbers. We, we, we've studied these things. We've seen how, you know, how the Lord fought, the, the Lord uh, took care of Egypt. But then the Lord says to Israel, okay, now you do Canaan. You see, the expectation to fight, but the same applies for you and me. The expectation to fight and engage in combat, engage in warfare. But for us as New Covenant believers, it's spiritual. It just so happens that we're studying our uh, uh, study through about spiritual warfare in Second Corinthians on Sundays in our study. It's very important to understand this aspect of spiritual warfare. Yes, the battle, the, the, the Lord takes on battles. There are passages where it says the battle belongs to the Lord. Absolutely true. But then when the Lord is inside of you, when you abide in him and him in you, the battle is still the Lord's, except he fights through his vessels, like we see with Moses, like we see with Israel, like we see with the priesthood, like we see with Paul, like we see with Peter, like we see with Priscilla and Aquila. New Covenant. The Lord, the battle is always the Lord's, except sometimes he uses different vessels, people. Sometimes he fights himself. So it's important to make that distinction and keep that in mind in all of your studies through the Bible, that the battle is the Lord's, except what are the vessels he chooses? What are the vessels he uses? And why does he choose these vessels? Is it because this guy is super strong? Is this because this guy is 10 times bigger than the Canaanites? No, it's the heart of a man, the heart of a woman, you see, and he sees, the Lord sees those things, you see, He's the, he doesn't apply human intellect, he doesn't apply the ways of man, he sees the heart, he tests the mind, he says, wow, that's my guy, wow, that's my gal, I'm going to use him, I'm going to use her. 
Why? Because they honor me. Not because he's a buff guy, not because he's huge, not because she's awesome, not because she's pretty, not because he's handsome. No, the heart, the circumcision of heart. And we see that Old Testament and New Testament. He says in verse 5, On this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law. Now, understand here that Israel, they're growing, they're maturing in Christ. It's like uh, uh, for a child, you might tell a child, like a, a two-year-old, Hey, don't run with that knife in your hand. Don't run with that knife in your hand. And the kid doesn't do it. And if he does it, they get a spanking. But then as the child gets older, you say, well, here's why, my son. Here's why, baby girl. This is why you don't do it. Because you're going to trip and you're going to stab yourself. Then you're going to die. You're going to get blood all over the place. You're going to get hurt. You know, you, you can explain these things. And the child is going to understand. Now, when the child was two, they don't know. They, they know. they know about, you know, the spankings. But they don't know about, you know, the, these deeper things. And you see this with Israel, where, you know, the, the, the law was given in, in, in numbers, but through experience and as the people learn from their mistakes, now there's this greater understanding and greater explanation where Moses can break it down, where Moses, how he begins to explain the law. And this is from his perspective now. And it's so beautiful because you see the maturity in Israel. You see this growth in Israel and how this uh, uh, explanation, it explanation comes with growth. You see, explanation comes with growth. Like a first grader, you explain certain things at a first grade level, but then in second grade, you explain things at a deeper level because they're, they have deeper understanding. They've exercised the mind. Now, academia today is getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So I speak, you know, think like uh, uh, prior education models. You know, the expectation of, you know, learning and growing first grade to second grade to third grade to fourth grade and matriculating through these stages of deeper understanding. And you see the exact same thing, Old Testament and New Testament. The growth of Corinth. If you've been listening for a while, you've studied 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians with us. And you see the growth in Corinth among the saints. But we see the growth of Israel here too. And Moses, he begins to explain this law. And this is what he is saying in verse 6. <clears throat> the Lord, the Lord our God spoke to us. Now, it's, it, 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 it's past tense here. Moses is referring to the past tense. The Lord, our God, spoke, past, past tense, spoke to us. Now, this is past tense, but this is for a future reference. The Deuteronomy, in this memoir of Moses, in this discourse of Moses, it's for the people to retain these things when they cross over to the promised land. It's, it's like saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Past tense here in verse 6, the Lord our God spoke to us for a, a, a reference in the future, a journey for the future generation. But in order for that to happen, in order for this to be applied for this future gen generation, what needs to happen? Well, the people need to remember. They need to remember. But the same thing applies for you and me. We need to remember.
the word of the Lord. We need to retain these things in our heart, in our mind. We need to hold on to these things. It's not like we read a book, we read a chapter, we study the Bible, and we just figure, okay, I got my chapter in for the day. I'm good to go. You know, I'm going to go go get drunk now. No, it's one thing to read, but it's entirely different to apply. You see, if you read without heeding, that's dangerous. That's where we get into judgment. But if we read and heed, that's the blessing. Because we apply the word in our lives. That's called obedience. Now, non-believers will call you stupid. People who are lukewarm, they'll call you legalist. But who cares? That's them. I'm talking about you and the Lord. Your relationship with him. You obey him. You choose to obey him. If others choose to disobey him, they might know the Bible left and right. Oh, don't bug me with that. I know the Bible. I know Genesis to Revelation. I went to Bible college. I did all these things. I study this. I know the Greek. I know the Hebrew. If, if they refuse to obey, that's on them. And woe is them. But I'm speaking to you. you I don't care if you know just absolutely little about the Bible. You apply what you know about the Bible and you are better off than the one who knows the Bible like the back of his hand and doesn't apply it to his life because that's called disobedience. Better is the soul who knows little and applies 100% than the soul that knows a lot and applies 0%. Better is the soul that applies what he or she knows of the Bible. Now, What you know of the Bible today is not going to be what you know of the Bible next week or next month or next year or next decade because you're going to grow. You're going to mature in Christ. And so this is what he says in verse 6. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb saying, you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Now, it's very important to understand this as New Covenant believers Because what's happening, there's this pull. What's happening in the church today? A lot of things are happening in the church today. Remember, there are four four factions of the church in the last days. Four factions are these. Uh, uh, The last days, the the, the church of the last days is either false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Those are the four factions of the last days church. And a lot of churches are entering crazy town. They're in crazy town already, but a lot are getting worse and worse and worse. These things must happen. We're living in very, very troublesome times, very perilous times. We're seeing the converging of all kinds of different prophecies. All kinds of different prophecies are happening at the same exact time. This pull for the Abraham Accords to use it as momentum for the two-state solution, Palestine. These things are happening. Digital identification uh, uh, initiatives at the G20, a global body of nations, the world leading nations. Digital ID. Digitized government for the digital age. These things are happening. Rabbis are starting to prepare for the Messiah. You see? Now, if you're Jewish, I love you. I know a lot of Jews who are kind of cautious with Christians. 
because they see what the Pope says. They see the history of the Catholic Church. But let me tell you something. If you're a Jew, Catholicism is not Christianity. Catholicism is not Christianity. It is a dangerous doctrine. Very dangerous doctrine. Anathema to the things of Christ. You see? Now, I do acknowledge the fact that there are Catholic uh, people who are in Roman Catholicism who are Christians. But when you read the Bible, you're going to have a cho- you have to, a choice to make. You have a choice to make. You can either stay in Rome or you can either come out of her. And I say this as a former Catholic. I was a Catholic. And when I was a Catholic, I would, you know, when I was younger, I didn't read the Bible. I just took, well, you know, this guy says this. Okay, I'm going to believe it. He's got, he dresses like this. He looks like he's, you know, he says this. Okay, he's the, he's the guy. But then I started to read the Bible. I realized that this guy, he's just a guy. And then I started to understand, understand doctrine. Wow, this guy's speaking foolishness. He's not speaking scripture. He's got the same look. He looks like the guy. People call him father, all these things. But doctrinally speaking, he's crazy. Doctrinally speaking. And so I had a choice to make. I had to come out of her. So if that's you, if you're Roman Catholic, come out of her, my people. We are living in the last days. The Pope today, the Roman Catholic Church, they're starting to teach these reforms that are based on experience within self and these initiatives in the church. That is very dangerous because the majority of people, the large majority of people, they're not prepared for the battle in the pneumos. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians about the spirit realm? A lot of people are not prepared for the pneumos. And if you leave yourself open for the pneumos, you better know how to fight, spiritually speaking. There's this deception of the last days. Deception of the last days. It's very important to understand what we're reading in the law as new covenant believers. Very important because there's this pull, this pull to say, hey, let's go back to the law. It's happening among the saints. Let's go back to the law. But let's turn really quick to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, You know, we're, we, we're in Deuteronomy 1 and we see Horeb and Mount Sinai. And here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says this in a different fight that is the same war, different battle, different campaign, the campaign of Galatia, the battlefield of Galatia. He says in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, that's Hagar, the other by a free woman, that's Sarah. But he who was born of the bondwoman, the bondwoman was Hagar, gave birth to Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. And that was Sarah who gave birth to Isaac. You see? These are things that we studied in in Genesis. But as New Covenant believers, we have to understand what these things mean in accordance to the law. Not just in accordance to the law, but in accordance to the fulfillment of the law. And I speak of Christ. The fulfillment. He says in verse 24, which things are symbolic. 
For these are the two covenants. Two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. That's in accordance with the flesh, which is the law, which is Hagar, he says. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, or, you know, like here we are, uh, Mount Horeb, what we're at in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Mount Horeb. This Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. That's the law. That's the law. But the Jerusalem, which is free, speaks of Zion. The Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Some translations say the motherland. That's how it translates. It's like saying the motherland. You talk to the Russians, you know, hey, uh, you, you don't know the guy's Russian. You say, hey, I see you have this uh, 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 dialecta. Where are you from? You say, oh, I'm from the motherland. Speaking of Russia, the motherland, you know, uh, same, same concept here. Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. We have to understand Mount Horeb, how the Lord is saying, leading Israel. Moses is exhorting Israel as in this memoir, in this dissertation before Israel enters the promised land. But in leaving Horeb, in leaving Mount Sinai, they enter the promised land. It's an Old Testament example of moving into grace, moving outside the law and into grace, even though Israel is in the law. It's an Old Testament example as a shadow of the things to come. The Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, turn really quick to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, you see, Mount Zion, which is free, the motherland, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and churches of the firstborn whom, who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You see? The better covenant. You see? New covenant. The better covenant. The law is still holy. But the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. You see? It's so beautiful as New Covenant believers, when we study the Old Testament, when we study the Torah through the lens of Christ and as abiding in Christ. Because we see these promises, we're able to see these things now and understand these things now. Now, let's go back to Deuteronomy. It's very important to understand these things because there's this huge push today to go back to the law. It's not a, it's not a, it's nothing new. It's, it may happen in Galatia. Nothing new under the sun. And if you're Jewish, I love you. If you're Jewish, I love you. The Messiah came and he's coming again. Not two Messiahs. It's not David and then another Messiah is coming. It's the son of David, the son of man, the son of God. Jesus Christ, and it's his 
second coming. It's his return. Read the prophecies of Zechariah. When blindness in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Let's uh, listen to our study through Romans 11. And once that happens, the blindness of Israel will be open again. The eyes of Israel will be open. See, what are those wounds in your hands? Read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. He says, it is here I was wounded in the house of my friends. Not one Messiah, David, and then another Messiah. One Messiah, two comings. You see? One Messiah, two comings. If you're Jewish, I love you. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And when he said to Telestai, it is finished, what happened in the holy place? From top to bottom, the veil was torn. And the mercy seat, the mercy seat where God speaks to the high priest, we have free access. Not, I don't, I know that's like really bad to say that to a Jewish person. But I don't say that just loosely, flippantly. Because we have the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Who comes to you? The question is, will you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior? You see? The same way the brothers of Joseph refused Joseph. And in the course of time, they bowed down to him. Is the same way that I ask of you to bow down to Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. As Joseph was on the right hand of Pharaoh, Jesus is at the right hand of God. You see? And all Israel will believe. All Israel will believe. You can get a head start. To my Jewish friends, you can get a head start. Let today be the, the, the day of salvation. And if that's you, you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Officially, you know, people have the title, oh, I'm a Messianic Jew. But for me, I call you my brother. I call you my sister. You see? And we, we await the second coming of the Messiah. And so let's look what is written here in Deuteronomy in the Torah. The fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. The Old Testament example of leaving the mountain into the promised land. And as new covenant believers, what we read in Galatians 4 and Hebrews 12, what is it an Old Testament example of? Zion. Zion, the motherland. In verse 7, Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland and in the south and, and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. Now, I have something to say here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is their past tense people. I mean, even today, I mean, here in Deuteronomy 1, they're past tense people, but even today, they're past tense people. But this is a future tense promise because it is written here, 
which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord swore to your father, past tense. He swore, past tense, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And rightfully so, because in the flesh, they lived past tense. But then now notice, to give to them, which is future tense. You see? And I say this, if you're Jewish, of the Sadducidical type. And I speak of the resurrection. The resurrection. You see? Just as we see how our Lord himself taught how Moses spoke of the resurrection to the unbelieving Sadducees. And even the Pharisees. You see? All these things that we see in the Torah about the resurrection. Or, some would say, the rapture. You see? In verse 9, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. Now, this is beautiful. Remember, this is written from Moses' perspective, and Moses is acknowledging before the people I alone am not able to bury. I can't do this. And praise the Lord because how many times, how many times when the Lord asks you to do something, when the Lord calls you into whatever situation, when the Lord directs or leads you into whatever situation, and Lord, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. I wonder if he's just smiling. You know, I, I know you can't. I know you can't. And I wonder if the Lord would say, I know you can't. I'm going to do it. Or, I am doing it and you're my vessel. I am doing it through you. And what a relief that is for you and me as Christians. Because we can rely on him all the more. Less on us, more on him. You see? I wonder if the Lord has called you into whatever ministry, if the Lord has called you into whatever capacity, like, Lord, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I wonder if you, in that mindset, are making the Lord smile, maybe even laugh. Because in his acknowledgement of, you're right, you can't do this. But what if the Lord is saying, I'm doing it. And I desire to do it through you. The question is, are we willing? And I, I say this from experience because I myself fought the Lord. He messed me up, but I fought the Lord. I don't want him to mess you up either. You see? Let us be a people of the circumcision. And when I say circumcision, I mean soft clay in his hands. Soft clay. Not hard clay. Where he has to be a little rough with hard clay. Soft clay in his hands. He is the potter. We are the clay. And Moses, in this acknowledgement, I alone am not able to bear you. And he says this in verse 10, The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. You see, as promised. Remember his promise to uh, Abraham? Look at the stars. Abraham, before he had children. Abraham, your descendants are going to be more than these stars. And here we are, fulfillment in verse 10. Uh, I, I, I could say partial fulfillment because... Look at us today, heirs of promise by faith, by faith. 
It's not a small thing. Sometimes people hear that and they're like, ah, you know, no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's huge. The promises of the Lord. Huge deal. He says this in verse 11. May the Lord, may the Lord God of, of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? I love this so much. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? This is so beautiful. This is impossible for any man. Look at our study through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, the murmuring and complaining that was happening in the camp, the problems that arose, the burdens that arose, the complaints. Oh, we should go back to Egypt. We should go back to Egypt. And Moses, in acknowledging that, how can I bear these? How can I alone bear these? No, you give it to the Lord. You give it to the Lord. The Lord must build the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, they, 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 they work in vain. The Lord must build the house. They labor in vain, those who build. Let the Lord build your house. Let it start in your heart. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick. You surrender to him, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the, the word of God, you surrender and submit and yield to him, yield to his spirit. Allow him to do the work in your heart. Allow him to do the work in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your business, in your work, in your school. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. You allow him to do this. You yield to him, Lord, it's yours. Otherwise, and I don't mean to be mean in saying this, Otherwise, why call him Lord? Why call him Lord if you refuse to yield? Because if you refuse to yield, he's not Lord. Let him be Lord of all. Let us be a people, myself included, that gives him everything of us. And we call him Lord. You are Lord. Lord, you're Lord. I don't want this. I don't want that. Lord, it's yours. The good, the bad, the ugly. You know, if you have a guest in your house. Oh, come on in. This is my nice living room. It's all vacuumed. You know, everything. You see the little carpet lines, you know, from the vacuum. Everything's nice and neat, nicely dusted, polished. Oh, yeah, stay in this living room. Here, let me bring you some tea. Let me bring you some coffee. Everything's nice. Then you get up and say, oh, yeah, let me walk down the hall. No, 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 no. Don't go down that hall. <laughs> Don't go down that hall. That's where all the mess is. You know, you open the closet and you like fall over because everything falls over you. But to Jesus, you know, let me go down the hall. Okay, Lord, go ahead. And I speak of your heart. Let him have everything in your life, your heart, your mind. Oh, Lord, you know, you're, you're not going to like what you see. You're not going to like what you see in this closet. You're not going to like what you see in that room. You're right. But do you think he doesn't know about it? You think he doesn't know about it? He knows. You yield to him 100%. And I say this again, and I don't mean to be mean. Otherwise, why call him Lord? When really, because of your refusal to yield, when really he's not. You see? Complete and total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You give him all. We see that exemplified in Moses, a type of Christ. 
How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? He says in verse 12 and verse 13, choose wise understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes and I will make them heads over you. You see, like overseers. But it's just like we see in the book of Acts. Remember, there was that need that arose in the church and the, the, the apostles, formerly disciples. You know, disciple is like a student under discipline. Apostle is messenger. Student to messenger. You see, student messenger. That's the process. Student messenger. See? People, oh, I want to be a I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to be a messenger. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You forget the student part. You have to learn. You have to grow. You have to mature. You have to have this deeper understanding. You need to be equipped, thoroughly equipped for the work of the ministry. Because when you do the work of the ministry, it's a it's straight up hand-to-hand -hand combat, spiritually speaking. You know, oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Okay, I want to be a messenger now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't forget, even the apostles were disciples first. It's disciple first. And always disciple because you're always learning, growing, maturing. But even in the book of Acts, when this need arose in the church, okay, we just need some warm bodies. Hey, you, you do this. Hey, you, you do this. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Just like we see in the book of Acts, that the apostle says, you know, we're not going to leave the word of God. The Lord called us into this ministry. He says to the church, you choose from among you seven men, not just seven warm bodies, full of the spirit. You see, knowledgeable, wisdom, not just warm bodies. And I love this so much because you, from that you see Stephen, the, 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 the martyr. But then you see Philip, Philip, how, you know, in his own growth and maturity, in his growth and maturity, he was a believer. He grew, matured, and now he's serving in tables. And then in his further growth and maturity, always a disciple and in a learning capacity, then he becomes a, 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 an evangelist. You see? Then, you know, he has a wife, he has some, some kids, and all his daughters are prophetesses. You see? It's so beautiful. You see the blessings of the Lord in the in the home, in the heart of Philip, in the home of Philip, in his family. Same thing in the Old Testament. Order. Order, not disorder. We're going to see disorder. And we, we, we've already seen disorder. And we've seen how the Lord responds. Remember, he's reactionary. We've seen how the Lord responds. And, and as, as we study further in the, in the Old Testament, we're going to see further disorder. But with this base plate of the Torah, the Pentateuch, with this base plate, we're going to understand why. We're also seeing the heart of Moses. Because from his perspective, I mean, how many times do you hear us when we teach, we speak about, you know, Moses in the cloud in, 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 in Exodus 25, 26, 27, in Exodus, in the, the, those chapters of uh, Exodus when Moses is on the mountain in the cloud. And we speak third person, but here we are in Deuteronomy. This is straight up first person from Moses' perspective. And so we see this in verse 14. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. You see, now this is the reference to the people's obedience as a good thing. And indeed, it is a good thing, but it's not always the case in the history from this from this particular point. It's not obedience was a learned thing because we see a lot of disobedience. But the same thing, a parent with a child, 
You see disobedience and you see obedience. What about us in Christ? You see obedience and you see disobedience. Look at Corinth. You see obedience and disobedience. A lot of disobedience and, and you know, there has to be that separation. Ephesians, obedience and disobedience. But who are the teachers? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? As overseers. And that's what is happening here in the Old Testament. Where Moses says at the end of verse 3, I will make them heads over for you. Not just warm bodies, but wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men. You see? Just like Paul in the pastoral epistles to Timothy and Titus. Wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men. You see? And the people here in verse 14, they tell Moses the thing which you have told us to do is good. And yes, Moses is acknowledging that goodness. Yes, this is good for you because you're obeying, you're obeying the Lord. And so in verse 15, so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers of your, for your tribes. You see this order and hierarchy of leadership. Then I commanded your judges at that time. Now, this is people who serve in a more judicial role, judicial capacity, saying, here the case is between your brethren and judge righteously, between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. You see, judge righteously. Moses is reminding the people, look, We've done this. You've done this. We've made little mistakes along the road and the Lord corrected us and this is what happened. You remember the uh, the, the tents of Korah and those who joined uh, to Korah and the rebellion of Korah. Look, the Lord, the Lord disciplined us. The Lord chastised us and he's reminding them, look, judge righteously. Sadly, many forget. Many forget. But few remember. A remnant remembers. There's remnants all through the Old Testament in these different time periods or dispensations. All these different time periods where you see a remnant. What does the Bible teach us about the last days? There's a remnant according to grace. You see? Remnant all throughout Scripture. Remnant, you know, like look at Judah. When Judah was supposed to be that last bastion, the ten tribes of Israel go off into crazy town. They go into captivity as well. And look at Judah. They're hardcore. They're the they're holding the fort, so to speak. But then the prophet Jeremiah, a remnant of Judah. When all of Judah, the, the, the elders of Judah, oh, were of the elect. God is for us. Jeremiah, you're so crazy. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? We're of the elect. God is with us. What did the Lord tell Jeremiah? I'm not with them. It's not like the Lord just, you know, flat out just said, okay, you know, I'm out of here. No, remember the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. You know what happened? Judah left him. Judah left the Lord. Jeremiah, he remembered. Jeremiah remembered. You see? And that's what's so powerful about these Vessels that the Lord uses, Old Testament and New Testament, they remember, they retain these things. They don't just hear something and then forget it. No, these vessels that the Lord uses, Old Testament and New Testament, and even today, they hear 
And then the word goes in their heart. They apply it in their lives. And the Lord says, look, that's my guy. Look, that's my girl. I'm going to use him. I'm going to use her. That's what the Lord does. Old Testament and New Testament. Look at Hannah. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah and her prayers to the Lord. Her husband thought she was crazy. The high priest thought she was crazy. The high priest thought she was drunk. You see? But Hannah remembered the Lord. Hannah retained the Lord in her mind, in her heart. Where was the high priest? You see? I mean, when you read passages like this, you should think like, wow, the, the, the high priest should be like, you know, have intimacy with the Lord more than Hannah because of the responsibilities he has. What a holy job, a holy task. Yes, entirely a holy task in accordance to the law. The law is still holy. But he forgot. That was his choice to not, that was Eli's choice to not retain the Lord. The same way it was Hannah's choice to retain the Lord. Who did the Lord acknowledge? Who did the Lord exalt? And who did the Lord kill? You see, Hannah was honored. Eli killed. And not just Eli, his sons. You see, the blessings of obedience, the curses of disobedience. Things that we're going to study in Deuteronomy from the perspective of Moses with this base plate of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You see, and Genesis, but I, I didn't say Genesis because you know, Moses was born in Exodus. But we're going to look at Genesis as we already have. In the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, which are the first books of the Bible. And so here we are in verse um, 16. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You see, no favoritism. No favoritism. Don't be a respecter of persons. Does that ring a bell? Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? God is no respecter of persons. That's what the Bible says. No preferential treatment. Oh, this guy's rich. This guy's loaded. Let's show him favoritism. No, God doesn't care. Who's rich before the Lord? Who's poor before the Lord? Who's handsome before the Lord? Who's ugly before the Lord? The Lord doesn't even look at the outside. He looks at the heart. Just like, you know, Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus and the rich man. In this world, we have all kinds of wealthy billionaires. Everybody knows the name, the Warren Buffetts, the, you know, the, the, the Microsoft guy, the, uh, the Tesla guy, the, you know, all the, yeah, I say everybody knows their names and I can't even think of their name right now. But you know what I mean? You look at the financial news. Everybody knows the names of the billionaires. Who knows the, who knows the name of the poor guy? Who knows the name of the guy who's sleeping on a park bench? You see? But yet, in the economy of Christ, we have Lazarus and the rich guy. The rich guy, we don't know his name, but we know the name of Lazarus, who was a beggar in the flesh. You see? But we remember his name. In the economy of Christ, we see differently, we think differently, we behave differently. 
But when I say behave differently, that's between you and the Lord. I can't mandate, hey, you behave like this, you behave like that. Nobody can mandate that. Now, because the Lord is reactionary, so are his servants. Just like Paul, he can't mandate Corinth to say, okay, you don't do your sex, don't do your drugs, don't do your alcohol. He can't force that upon anybody. But of the ones who choose not to do that in obedience to Christ and walking according to the Spirit and exercising the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit being made evident, to those he says, okay, now separate from the others who don't do that. Paul doesn't, you know, hey, I force you, don't do this or else I'm going to kill you. Don't do this. But biblically speaking, if you die in those sins, you know, you have the second death to look forward to. I shouldn't even say look forward to, but you have the second death that's in your future. The Lord will kill you. Remember, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That, that law is still in play. Now, the only way for that law to be out of play is in Christ. That's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. Those are His words. No one. You see, the wages of sin is death. Always. And the only way that can not apply, the only way is in Christ. You and me abiding in Christ. And God is no respecter of persons, and the law reflects the same thing. This exhortation to the judges, you shall, in verse 17, you shall not show partiality in judgment, no favoritism. You know, you're, you're judging a rich guy, and the rich guy says, here, let me pass you over, you know, $10,000. Okay, you're free to go. No, that, what does that say of the court system? Corruption. And we're going to see corruption in the Old Testament. We see corruption in the New Testament. And in the church, we see corruption today. I say, I don't say that lightly. It pains me to say that. But yet we see corruption in the church today. Which comes at no surprise how Brother Peter prophesied, inspired of the Spirit. And the prophecy is that judgment comes first in the church. Inside the church, judgment comes first. Think about how big of a mess the church has to be in order for that to happen. Sadly, I can say, behold, behold, look at the state of the church today. Christians, grave soaking. Christians, the money preachers. People believing the money preachers. Look at the sexual uh, exploitation we see inside the church. People who are molested. Have you ever talked to an adult before who was molested in the church? They're a mess today. They're adults. They're adults. They big strapping men, women, old women, but then they open up to you and they start to explain how they were molested by a pastor, molested by a youth leader, raped by a pastor, raped by a youth leader. Their innocence shattered. Then you talk to them about Jesus Christ. They say, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ because their memory of church, their memory of Christ is what, what happened to them by a wicked pastor, by other Christians, so-called Christians. But don't forget, it is prophesied that sheep, shepherds, 
can become wolves and will become wolves in the last days. You see? The church is a mess. If you are a victim of molestation inside the church, I love you. And I am in complete agreement that whoever did those things, they need to be in prison. They need to be in prison. Pastors, protect the sheep. If you're a wicked pastor, step down and call the police. Repent before the Lord and do what you got to do with the police system, the judicial system. Reap what you have sown. Protect the sheep. Wicked elders, wicked pastors, they need to be in prison for molesting a child. It's rampant. It's it's growing. It's going to get worse and worse. Culture is going to get darker and darker and darker. And for judgment to come first in the house of God, as prophesied by Brother Peter, think about how much of a mess the church has to be. When... When the world comes into Corinth, look at what we studied in 1 Corinthians. When the world, when Corinth entered the church. Now, look at the world today, which is arguably much worse than Corinth. What about when that comes in the world today? What are the works of the flesh you think we're going to see? What are the works of the flesh that we can see today? But the remnant is different. The remnant is different. Different. The separation That's a holy bunch. But the fight is still going to be there. You, me, we have to engage in this fight. If you're a victim of molestation. That was a wolf that you were exposed to. That was a wolf. Christ is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And I love you. And even still we have these dissertation and exhortation of Moses for the people. Hey, don't show partiality. Be fair. Honor the Lord in your judgments. This is in accordance to the law. But as New Covenant believers, we see the beauty of this in preparation for Israel into the promised land. He says in verse 17, you shall hear the small as well as the great. You see? Oh, there's just, think of a millionaire. When people bicker and complain over a hundred dollar, oh, you know, just a hundred dollars you got, you, 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 you robbed me of a hundred dollars. But to a millionaire, it's just a hundred dollars. No big deal. But that hundred dollars is a big deal to the poor guy, to the poor gal. And the Lord is saying, look, don't, don't show what you consider is small, you shall hear the small as well as the great. Wealthy people are different than the poor people in terms of perspective. You see, a poor person might say like, wow, you know, I I, I spend, you know, uh, uh, $400 a month, $500 a month on groceries. But a rich guy pays that for a steak. One, one dinner, one meal. Just for him. You see? Different perspective. And yet yet the Lord is saying, look, the small and the great, no matter what, hear it. And don't show partiality in your judgment. Be fair. Honor the Lord. 
You see? If it's small matter, big matter, who cares? Justice needs to be served. The law itself, you can sacrifice an ox or you can sacrifice a turtle dove. And I don't want to say like you can do either, like you choose. I'm saying for the rich guy, an ox. In some cases, several ox, multiple ox. But for the poor guy, turtle dove, little, little bird. But in both cases, nothing mangy. You see? Fairness. Fairness. And so he says this. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. Now, in order for the judgment to be the Lord's, these judges, they better know the Lord. And they better honor him, you see, and yield to him. Because outside of that... You start to get people, you, you get the corruption, it enter, it, the, the corruption enters in, it seeps in, and it corrupts, absolutely. And we're going to see that in the Old Testament. But remember, this is Moses' exhortation to Israel. Listen, hold on to these things, remember these things. The case that is too hard for you, bring it to me and I will hear it. Now, he's referencing the past as encouragement for the future. Because remember, Moses is going to die. He's not entering the promised land. But Joshua is going to be the next in command, so to speak. The next Moses, so to speak. Not Moses, but the next Moses in terms of the hierarchy, the, the next in command, so to speak. And also as a type of Christ, Joshua. In verse 18, and I commanded you at that time, and I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. So we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Gadesh Barnea and I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of our fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Now, these are all things that we've studied. The journey that from, from the exodus of from Egypt, what happened? What happened? In the exodus of Egypt, how they traversed the lands, they're in the wilderness. An 11 days journey became 40 years. But these are things that we've studied. We've looked at, and now Moses is reminding the people, hey, remember this, remember that, remember this, and we're moving into the promised land. In order to go to the promised land, you have to remember these things. But at the same time, as new covenant believers, understand Sinai and the motherland, Zion. You see? As new covenant believers. Because we can read these things and understand them as like, oh my goodness, how the promises of God, they spoke of Zion, they spoke of paradise, not of this world. And so we see this in verse 22. And every one of you came near me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. Now, this is uh, a little bit, a little deeper insight from our study in Numbers. We we get a different perspective. That's the perspective of Moses, but we see a little bit deeper. 
Because remember the recon team to, to check out the uh, Canaan, the land of Canaan, the recon team when they came back and they're like, whoa, these guys are huge and they were afraid. Well, we study that in numbers, but then at the same time, we get this perspective how in verse 22, Moses is saying, every one of you came near me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well. This is beautiful because we see the acknowledgement of Moses and the people's alignment with the Lord. So far in this regard, their alignment with the Lord. Now there's a disalignment with the Lord, which is a result of their fear of the Canaanites. The plan pleased me well, he says in verse 23. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. This is the recon team. In verse 25, they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. You see, good land, good land. The, the acknowledgement of how beautiful, beautiful the land was, but yet the people, this recon team, they were still afraid. They were still afraid in verse 26. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents, the murmuring and complaining. You complained in your tents. Now, we do this today in our own tents. The murmuring and complaining in our tents. We do this today. Murmuring and complaining. Now, Old Testament times, I'm picturing a tent, my tent, and then one family, the next family, another tent, and then I mean, think no, no privacy. You know, now we have like you know thick walls, and you can whisper, and nobody hears. You can talk, and nobody hears. You can laugh, and nobody hears. But when it's just a tent, everybody hears everything. Think about our tents before the Lord. He knows. He knows our fears. He knows our joys. He knows our sorrows. Now, emotion is part of the human experience. We are emotional entities. That's part of the circumcision is to have a, a tender heart before the Lord. But a tender heart, there's emotion tied to the tender heart. There's also no emotion tied to the hard heart. Have you ever talked to somebody who's hard-hearted? like, man, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Hearts will grow hard in these last days. There will be no compassion. There will be no sympathy. There will be no empathy. Men's hearts will fail. Love will wax cold. But when you hear us say, remnant, store your oil, store your oil, store your oil, there's a lot loaded in that. Because when you have oil stored for your lamp, the lamp is the word of God. Light before our feet. When darkness ensues, you're still going to be compassionate. You're going to be full of pain. Full of pain. Because death and destruction is going to be all around us. But your heart is going to be nice and tender in the hearts of, in the in the hands of the Lord. But a hard heart, it's going to get worse. They're going to grow. The hardness of hearts, it's going to grow. Now, 
If it's difficult for you, if I'm speaking and you're listening and you're like, man, it's hard for me to have compassion. It's hard for me to have empathy and sympathy. It's hard for me to do them. Exercise those things. Start to do those things. Because I don't want your heart to fail. It's, prof- it's prophesied that hearts will fail. But the remnant is different. The remnant is different. We store oil. We have our oil. You see? Look at this murmuring and complaining that happened in the tents. In verse 27, you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. This is the conclusion of unbelief. So remember, in verse 23, the plan pleased me well. Remember, in verse 22, let us send men before us and let them search the land for us. Let's send a recon team. In verse 23, the plan pleased me well. You see, like, wow, Israel, they're learning. They're maturing because, look, they, they, they have this idea, but yet it's it's honors the Lord. And, okay, let's do this. Okay, so everything's in alignment. Everything honors the Lord. You get a couple of verses down. In verse 27, they're in their tents. Oh, the Lord hates us. Okay, hold on. That's That's the wrong conclusion. That's the conclusion of unbelief. But it's similar to a young child. It's just my example that we gave earlier. You know, like, yeah, you tell a child, hey, don't run with the knife. Don't run with the knife in your hand. Maybe a child runs with a knife in your hand. You spank them because they're like a little two-year-old, little spanking. So the child knows you do that. You, you do what I told you not to do. You're going to get a spanking. The child grows older. You can say, okay, I don't want you to get stabbed in the, you know, stabbed. So don't run with the knife. And then the child can understand. Okay. And then you see the child, hey, pops, I'm not going to run with the knife in my hand. Hey, mom, I'm not going to run with the knife in my hand. You're like, okay, good, good. That's cool. You say, wow, the kid is growing. Praise the Lord. But then the kid says, okay, but I'm going to put my finger in the socket. No, 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 no. Don't do that either. It's like, because there's learning. One lesson is good. Everything's good to go. But the next lesson, don't put your finger in the socket. You see? So it's little steps of growth. But the same thing here, like. Verse 22 and 23, wow, Israel, they're growing. But then now they come up to this conclusion. He brought us out into Egypt. He brought us out here to kill us. He wants to kill us. God hates us. No, that wasn't. Have you ever talked to a teenager, like parents of teenagers? You know, you you have a daughter or a son and the son says, oh, mom, you hate me. Oh, dad, you hate me. And you're like, that's the furthest from the truth. I love you, son. I love you, baby girl. But no, you're not going to go out with that freak show. You see? Oh, but you hate me, mom. You hate my dad. No. Nothing could be further from the truth. But that's the conclusion of youth. Because they have no understanding. And it, it came at a heavy price for Israel. Now in verse 28. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. Remember the recon team? They came back and they said, wow, these Canaanites are huge. We can't fight them. They're huge. And their fear was endemic and it spread in the camp of Israel. As is written here in verse 28, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Whoa, these guys are huge. These guys are warriors. We can't fight them. But to the Lord, who are they? To the Lord, who are they? To the Lord, who is Israel? Vessels. 
but they refused to be the vessel of the Lord. And in their fear, they forgot the might of the Lord. Remember the sons of Siva and the demon? Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who in the world are you? You see? It's not to say that the demons couldn't be defeated, but the vessels weren't even vessels. Paul was a vessel. Peter was a vessel. You see? Spiritual warfare. Just as we see warfare, Israel's warfare, in the ways of the flesh. The same thing applies to you and me in the ways of the Spirit. Verse 29, then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did, to, did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. This is so beautiful. So beautiful. To see a man hold his child is one of the most breathtaking views I've ever seen to see a man hold his child. You see, lovingly, caring, sacrificially, protecting the next generation. You see, as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place, yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, unbelief in the camp of Israel, everything that he's done this far, and there's still unbelief. Verse 33, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you, to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And the Lord heard, you see, the Lord heard. Just like the, the, the look what was said. Look what was said in the tents in, in, in verse 27. And you complained in your tents, murmuring and complaining. And what did they say? Oh, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Now their unbelief was exposed and the Lord heard the Lord heard. Now, understand that our God lives. Our God lives. Since we know that our God lives, do we expect Him to be blind and deaf? Do we expect Him not to know what is said in our tents? In your tent? In my tent? Do we expect Him not to know what is seen in my tent and your tent? What is heard in my tent and your tent? Our God lives. He's not among the dead. He lives. Remember, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Of the living God. We need to remember this. Because so many times it's like, wow, you know, when, when we are incapacitated by fear, to remember who the Lord is. Even more so in these last days. Because there's going to be all kinds of reasons to fear. You know, to run away from the lion. But yet the threat of the bear is right there. Oh, I'm going to run over. I'm going to flee over here. Safety, safety, safety. And I'm going to flee. But boom, the mouth of the bear is right there. That's prophesied. 
But yet, where are the fearless? Where are the warriors? And I don't mean fearless like, you know, wanton disregard for threats. But to give everything to the Lord. He knows our fears already. He knows everything about us already. He's not blind. He's not deaf. He is fully aware of what happens inside of our tents. But we give him everything. Our fears, our failures, everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. Lord, I know you're calling me over here, Lord, but I'm afraid. Lord, I know you want this, but I have this anxiety, Lord. And I give, remember Paul? The writer of, the writer of be anxious for nothing. The writer, inspired of the spirit, says be anxious for nothing. And yet that guy exposes his, exposes his own anxiety. And what did he do with his anxiety? He gave it to the Lord. In prayer and supplication, he gives it to the Lord. You see? The writer of be anxious for nothing. You see? Let us do the same. Be anxious for nothing. How does that happen? You give it to the Lord. Lord, I have it. It's part of the human experience. It's not to be closed off and say, oh, you know, just be a hard heart and, oh, you know, I, you know, this guy's whatever, this lady's in whatever, this different situation. Oh, not me. I'm hard. Have you ever spoken to anybody who's hard hearted? It's sad. Not for us, but for them, for that particular individual. It's sad. Because they miss out on, I don't want to say like from an experiential standpoint, but experientially speaking, it's sad because they miss out on this interaction with the Lord, deep intimacy with the Lord. But the remnant is different. The remnant is different, a people of the circumcision. Circumcised, it's the, our faith in Christ is the only way a female can be circumcised is in Christ. And I don't speak in the ways of Adam. I speak in the ways of Christ in accordance to the Spirit. Moses is calling the people on their folly. You guys were unbelieving. For Israel to recollect these things and remember what the Lord did in response to that. Because remember, they, they have to know and retain and remember these things for when they're in the promised land. Moses is about ready to die. And he says in verse 34, the Lord hurt you guys. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give your fathers. You see, and remember in our study in the book of Numbers, they were worried about the kids. Oh, our kids are going to die. It's not safe for our kids. It's not safe for our kids. So therefore, let's go back to Egypt. It's not safe for our kids. These Canaanites are huge. It's not safe for our kids. Our kids are going to die. You know what the Lord said? You're going to die. You're going to die. You see? In verse 36, Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children, I'm giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. This is beautiful. <laughs> Notice in verse 36. And to him and his children, I am giving the land on which he walked. It's so, remember, Caleb was, 
He was part of the recon team. He was part of the recon team. He went into Canaan. He comes back and all these this other, other people in the recon team, they were scaredy cats. But yet there was Caleb and Joshua. But this mention of Caleb, he went into the promised land. But when this is being said, they're not in the promised land. What does that say? The land in which he walked. And when this is mentioned, when this is said, they're not in the promised land. Notice though, it's, it's beautiful to see that this example of faith to the people of Israel in Caleb. Israel, you didn't go in the promised land. Caleb went in the promised land. He came back to give this report and you don't believe him. And because of him, because he went into the promised land and came back to give this report because he did that. Now this land, it's for him and his descendants after him. It's for him. But an Old Testament example of faith. People who have by faith received the things about the promised land, the motherland, and I speak of Zion. They come back and report these disciples who are now messengers, apostles. They come back, give a report. Now, are is the camp afraid or does the camp believe? You see, as new covenant believers, do you see how beautiful it is to read these passages and understand these things deeper? Look at Caleb in verse 36. He wholly followed the Lord. Not just 10% of his heart. Not 80%. 100% given to the Lord. Now, remember, this is from the perspective of Moses in verse 37. The Lord was also angry with me. Whoa. Why, Moses? The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes. For your sakes. You see, now, he's not, Moses isn't passing the buck. You know how nowadays among the millennials and Z generation, they like to pass the buck. You know, they, oh, it's not my fault. It's this fault. You know, the Russians ate my homework. Now it's mental health. Everybody says mental health. Oh, I got an F on my test. Why? Oh, my mental health. You see, they, they blame the Russians or mental health. But that's no cop-outs. This isn't a cop-out. It literally is because of Israel. <laughs> The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes. It was because of you. A little bit of, you see, the human side of Moses. Humanity in Paul or humanity in Moses. It's very interesting because we also looked at the humanity of Paul on Sunday. And we're still going to do that on Sunday. The humanity of Paul when he says, I speak as a fool. The Lord was angry with me for your sakes. Now, this anger of Moses, it's, I don't want to make any excuses, but it's understandable. It's understandable because of the unbelief that was in the camp. I was angry. The Lord was angry with me for your sakes. It came at a heavy cost because the Lord says, okay, Moses, because you misrepresented me, you're going to die here. You're not going to enter the promised land. See? And Moses, you know, no griping, no murmuring and complaining about it. And I don't want to say take that with a grain of salt, 
but just accept it as salt. As New Covenant believers, we are the salt of the earth. Accept it as salt because remember the transfiguration. Who was there? Moses. You see? Moses. So in the flesh, in accordance to Adam, no passage into the promised land in accordance to Adam, in the flesh. But in the spirit, it's a different game, different ball game, different ball game. The transfiguration of Moses. And so he says in verse 37, the Lord is also angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, the assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. You see, the next generation, not just of uh, the next generation, like the, the, the kids of the generation that dies, but the next generation of leadership. You see, now a little message for pastors. Servants have no legacy than that of their master. If you're a pastor, let your, I'm doing air quotes here, let your legacy be that of Christ. Because a lot of pastors today, they say, oh yeah, my son is going to be the next pastor. My son is an elder. I'm grooming him to be a co-pastor. And then I'm grooming him to be the head pastor. They treat church like it's a family business. Now, it could be that your son is circumcised, that your son is of the circumcision. And I speak of Christ. I don't speak in the flesh. It could be that your son is of the circumcision. But it could also be that he's crazy, pastor. It could be that you were more of an Eli instead of a Paul, raising the next generation of righteousness, the next generation of leadership in accordance to Christ. It could be that you raise the next generation of wickedness. Pastor, don't treat church like a family business because it's the Lord's business. It's the Lord's house. If he built it. I'm assuming that he built it. You see, pastor, because a lot of churches these days, they treat church like a business. Oh, my son's going to be the next pastor. The son's the next pastor. And the church becomes more decrepit, more decayed because of wickedness at the pulpit. But don't treat church like a family business. It's the Lord's business. It's the Lord's house. And the Lord's house must be clean. Nothing mangy. Verse 39, moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims. That's what the people thought. Oh, my children, for the sake of our children, let's go back to Egypt. Our children are going to die. Our children are going to die. And the Lord says, no, you're going to die, parent. Who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there. To them I will give it and they shall possess it. You see, the parents wanting everything to be safe for the kids. And this presumption that they had this presumptuous idea and thought that oh the lord remember verse 27 the lord hates us he's gonna kill us we gotta protect our kids now for the sake of children for the sake of children many parents today do very stupid things you see Seemingly for the best interest of the child. 
but stupid nonetheless. Now, parents, I have a message for you. Parents, no one, no one is a better provider and protector than Jesus Christ. No one. I'll say it again. No one is a better protector and provider than Jesus Christ. You, parent, give your kids Him. Give them Christ. That's the best protection they're going to have. Jesus Christ. Look at the parents here. Scaredy cats, motivated motivated by fear. Oh, we got to protect the kids. We got to protect the kids. We got to keep them alive. We got to keep them alive. You know what happened? The Lord kept them alive. He killed the parents. You see? In verse 40, But as for you, about the parents, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. You see? Parents were chastened hard, hardcore. Even Moses, that first generation, you see? Now, we know as New Covenant believers that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. As is written in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 really quick. And in Hebrews 12, verse, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 8, But if, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You are illegitimate. Translates in some, in some translations says you're bastards. Bastards. Verse 11, understand this. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see? In accordance to the, to the Spirit, in the Torah, Moses was chastened. But he was also trained through his chastening. Look at the transfiguration. You see? Let the chastening of the Lord be the very thing that keeps our hearts soft in His hands. That's how He works. Old Testament, New Testament. That's how He works. It came at a heavy cost for these parents in Israel in the first generation. The kids lived. The Lord kept them alive. The promised land for the kids. Look, remember verse th- Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39, about the little ones, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They have no knowledge of good. They're just little kids, little ones. No knowledge of good and evil. You see? And the parents took it upon themselves. Oh, the Lord hates us. We got to protect the kids. Let's go back to Egypt. What? That's protection. You're going to forget about all the promises of the Lord? Let go of the promises of the Lord? What did the Lord do? He killed them. The Lord, verse 34, the Lord heard them. He says in verse 35, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation. Whoa. You see? That's hardcore. Parents. The best safety, the best protection and provision is in Christ. For your kids is in Christ. In Christ always. 
You give them him. Teach them. Today, they have no knowledge of good and evil. They might have knowledge of good and evil. A little bit. But tomorrow they're going to have more. The next day more. The next day more. And then you're going to watch them run. And rejoice. Because they're abiding in Christ. Outside of that, it's not good. It's not pretty. And I've seen it. 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds refuse to abide in Christ. And they're like, they, they look like adults, but they're little tiny babies. Why? Look at the parents. The parents raise, raise little crazy people. You see? Disobedient unto the Lord. And so we see this in verse 41 in closing. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you has girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up nor fight. Wow. Did God change his mind? Did God change his mind? Absolutely not. You say, wait a second. But he says, go into the uh, Canaan and fight. And you're saying the, the Lord didn't change his mind? No. You know what happened? The people changed their heart. The people changed their heart. It's a bad formula. It's the wrong formula. What? I'm not, I'm not a chemist. I know a little bit of chemistry because of my school days in chemistry. Nothing major. But I mean, if you want to turn like the water blue, but you have all these chemicals and you got to turn the water blue in a little puff of smoke. Every little vial needs to be added in the right portion, in the right order. Everything needs to happen because the chemical compound, it turns from this to that because of the ingredients that were added. The chemical, how it joins together how the chemical compounds work together it changes to this and then the smoke comes you gotta it has to be exactly in the precise order in the precise manner in the precise measurements otherwise you're not going to get the desired results the same thing applies to our faith did god change his mind he says okay go into canaan and now he's saying don't go did he change his mind the people changed their heart. They were full of fear and they were disobedient. And the, the Lord even refers to them as this evil generation in verse 35. Now, since the people changed their heart, then because that command to go into Canaan, that wasn't for unbelievers. That was for believers. Now, because it's if the unbelievers try to do that, formula that the command of the lord that's the wrong formula that's not the right that's not the chemical composition that is not the chemical composition and i speak spiritually in saying that it's for a faithful people it's for a believing people now because of their unbelief the lord didn't change their mind the people changed their heart they were believing and then they became unbelieving. And in unbelieving, okay, it's now, okay, it's not to say that that promise isn't there, but that promise isn't there yet because the people have to learn now. That's a 40-year lesson, but the people learned. The people grew and matured and this maturity and going into Canaan, that's for the next generation. The first generation dies as a result of their unbelief. The Lord didn't change his mind. The people changed their heart. 
It's just like in Corinth. Does that mean that, you know, this isn't for the Corinthian saints? No, just not yet. They have to learn. Like spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare in our studies in 2 Corinthians, it's it's not to say that that aspect of spiritual warfare, that the baby Christians can't partake in those things, but it's just not yet because deeper understandings need to be grasped and understood. Did the Lord change his mind? Did the Lord change his promises? No. No, not at all. But it's just like calculus. You're not going to put a first grader in calculus. No. Then you're the fool if you do that. Does that say that 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 calculus can never be for that individual? No. That individual has to go to first grade, second, third, fourth, and on into perfection. You see? The Lord didn't change his mind. The people changed their heart. And the Lord, in verse 42, the Lord Lord said to me, Tell them, do not go up nor fight. That promise was when they were believing. And now that they're unbelieving, it's now dangerous for the people. They're going to die. They're going to lose in this fight. You see, it's the wrong chemical composition, the wrong ingredients. It's the wrong formula. How many times do you hear us say that? It's the wrong formula. Just like speaking in tongues. Remember the gifts of the Spirit in our study in 1 Corinthians? Oh, how many people do you have in your church? Oh, there's 10 people. There's 20 people. Oh, you got such a tiny church. Look the look at the fruit of our church. We have 500 people. We have 1,000 people. And all 1,000, they speak in tongues. We all speak in tongues. We're all full of the Spirit. You walk into the church, you're like, what in the world? Here you got this little five-month-old who's speaking. You say he's speaking in tongues. That's not, that's not even tongues. He's speaking like a baby. It's gibberish. It's baby talk. Google Gaga, and you say that's tongues. That's not tongues. By the way... And it's not the right formula. Remember? Two two speaking in tongues, at most three. And then there must be an interpreter. So if you max everything out, four people. Person number one speaks in tongues. No interpretation. Person number two speaks in tongues. No interpretation. You could just stop right there. And the pastor can teach. But at most three, so the third person speaks. No interpretation. Okay. No tongues. No tongues. There must be an interpreter. Person number one speaks in tongues. Now the interpretation comes. Thus saith the Lord. This is what this is how it translates. This is what the Lord is saying to the saints. You have that in the book of Acts with Agabus prophesying. Preparing the church, the saints, for the famine. What about in these last days when there's a famine of the word of God? A famine of the word of God. You see? Anytime we see in the Bible silence with the Lord, it's not because the Lord is a quiet God. He certainly desires to speak with his people. But who has ears to hear? Remember in Samuel's day, there was no widespread revelation from the Lord. Why is that? Well, look at Eli. We see why. Look at Eli. No ears to hear. And when the voice of the Lord came, who had ears? Little Samuel. You see? And so now we see in verse 42, 
The Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up, do, do not go up, nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be defeated before your enemies. In verse 43, so I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. You see, they assumed they were right. They assumed that they were right with the Lord. You see, but it was the wrong formula because the command was given, yes, to go into Canaan. But it was when they were believing, when there was no fear in the camp. But now that there's fear in the camp and the Lord says, okay, now you first generation, you're all going to die in the wilderness. You're going to be 40 years in the wilderness. And the people go up. Wait a second. This command doesn't apply, not because of the Lord, but because of you. This command doesn't apply anymore. We got to go back to the back to basics, back to the drawing board. Now you understand a little bit of the frustration of Paul speaking to you know how many times do you hear us say we're six years deep well the first set of three years they were still babies now Paul's in the second set of three years he's okay I don't want you guys to be babies anymore don't be babies anymore and because I don't want you to be babies anymore I'm speaking to the remnant now this remnant of Corinth he says, okay, since I don't want you to be babies anymore, I'm going to speak as a fool. You want to you wanna have this level of carnality in you, saints, in church? Okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak as a fool. You want to be carnal? I'm going to be carnal. I'll speak like this. You see? Now, when he says, I wanna, I'll be carnal too, I mean carnal like, you know, the works of the flesh. But I'll, I'll speak, I speak as a man, I speak as a fool. That's what Paul says. You want to boast? Okay, I'll boast too. This level of carnality, it's the boasting of the flesh. Paul says, okay, I'm going to do it too. You see a little bit of that frustration in the servant of the Lord. Not, not anything bad at all. But so the saints can understand the danger of being babies. So that the saints in Corinth can understand the danger of immaturity in Christ, especially in regards to spiritual warfare, as we're studying in 2 Corinthians. In that same manner, Moses reveals it in verse 43. I spoke this to you, yet you would not listen. You rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, the command of the Lord, and presumptuously, presumptuously went up into the mountain. You guys thought you were okay. You guys thought you were in good standing with the Lord, but you were not in good standing with the Lord. And even in your unbelief and this state of unbelief and this fear that was in your heart, even in that the Lord was good to you because he says, don't go up or fight because he was trying to protect you. You're going to lose. You're going to be defeated in verse 42, defeated before your enemies. But you want to be presumptuous? You think you're in good standing with the Lord? Oh, but the Lord commanded this. Yes, he commanded that. But you have the wrong formula. The wrong formula. The formula that you have it doesn't work. You want the blue, you want the blue juice and a puff of smoke? No. You're going to get, you know, pink juice and no smoke. You see? It's the wrong formula. And so what happens? They were they presumptuously went into the mountain. Now, with carnal eyes, 
we can look at this and be like, wow, you know, the warriors of Israel, you know, they got their, they got the, the armor, they got the swords, they got the, the fighters, the strong men, and they're going to go fight. They go up to fight and they're like, wow, you know, they're, look at the, these godly vessels. Look, they're going to go fight and the Lord is with them. But the Lord wasn't with them. With carnal eyes, everything would look fine and dandy. But with spiritual eyes, don't go. You guys are going to lose. You guys are going to lose. The Lord didn't change. You changed. What does that say to us? So many times I hear people say, oh yeah, iron sharpens iron. Oh yeah, I'm iron and you're iron and we sharpen each other. But, you know, Nerf balls don't don't shape Nerf balls. You see, little... You know, the little Nerf football, Nerf football. You, you, you can't sharpen a Nerf football with a Nerf fo football, a foam, you know, a styrofoam. Foam doesn't shape foam. You know, rubber doesn't shape rubber. A piece of paper doesn't shape a piece of paper. No, iron sharpens iron. A biblical truth. Be iron. Be iron. Don't be Nerf. Don't be styrofoam. Don't be rubber. Don't be the piece of paper. Be iron. Iron sharpens iron. You hear people say, oh yeah, iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. Come on, let's go do some crack. It's the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. I don't, that's no sharpening. I don't want, I don't want that. What is that? You can't sharpen. You think you can sharpen? Oh, but the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Yes, absolutely. Iron sharpens iron. But that's not even iron. You're talking about like rubber. You're talking like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of something soft and you, you think you're, that's not even iron. Oh, iron sharpens iron. Come on, let's go get high. Iron sharpens iron. Come on, let's go to the strip club. Iron sharpens iron. Look, you know, let's go have sex. Oh, iron sharpens iron. Look, let's go worship Buddha. That's not even iron. That's like a little nasty piece of rubber. They can't sharpen anything. Oh, let's go to spiritual combat together. Let's go fight together. We're going to fight the good fight. Yes, absolutely. There's a good fight of faith. And yes, absolutely. Iron sharpens iron. But you ain't it, brother. You ain't it, sister. You see what I'm talking about? It's the wrong formula. The formula has to be right. You and me together, yielding to the word of God, yielding to his spirit. You see? And in that manner, iron sharpens iron. See? Look what happens because of this sin of presumptuousness. In verse 44, And the Amorites who dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and drove you back from Sa'ir to Hormah. You see, they were defeated. You see? They were defeated. The people... How can we suffer defeat when God promises victory? There is victory in Christ. But the formula must be right. The formula must be You look at the church today, and I mean, no disrespect to the church, because the church is his. But even he says to the seven churches, repent, 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 repent. To two churches, he doesn't say repent. Philadelphia? And Smyrna. Why? They had the right formula. Philadelphia and Smyrna have the right formula. 
The other five do not have the right formula. He says, repent. Repent. You see? Another picture of the remnant. Two out of five. The remnant of the seven. You see? The formula has to be right. Oh, but we have victory in Christ. Absolutely. But are you in Christ? We have victory in Christ. Come on, let's go to crack. That's, how can you have victory? You look at the church today, and as I was going to mention, <laughs> all due respect to the Lord, but I see a lot of basket cases in the church today. Male, female, young, old. I see a lot of spiritual ba basket cases with zero victory. They claim victory. Sometimes they beg for victory. Oh, I beg for victory. I don't have victory. I don't have this. I don't have that. Okay, tell me about your life. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a co-pastor, so I'm a godly man. Okay, so you say, but tell me more. Well, my wife says this, but then, you know, I have this girlfriend and she says otherwise. Okay, wrong formula. You shouldn't be a pastor, freak. You see? You see, that's, that's the wrong formula. Oh, I don't have victory in my life. Okay, tell me, tell me. What, what's, what's going on? Well, you see, my sons and daughters, they're like this. They do this. They do that. My son wants to do his crack. My daughter wants to do her occult. And, you know, I, I do this. It's like, wait a second. Okay, pause there for me. You don't have victory because the formula isn't right. The formula is not, it's not the right formula. We want to have the blue juice and a puff of smoke. But you're adding things and you're getting the yellow juice and no smoke. The little orange juice and no smoke. We got to get the blue juice and a puff of smoke. How come I don't have the blue juice and a puff of smoke then? Well, the formula's wrong. Let me look at that vial. What's in that vial? Oh, pornography? Okay, let's throw this in the trash. Let me look at that vial. What's in that vial? Crack? Okay, let's throw that in the trash. Let me look at that vial. What's in that vial? Meth? Throw it in the trash. Oh, but I like that. I like that. You want victory? You're not going to have it. You're not going to have it with that vial. I say vial on purpose because it's vial. You see? We got to have the right ingredients. Iron sharpens iron. Even iron itself has a composition that has to be right in order for it to be iron. You know, like you get the cheap stuff from China. You have these manufacturers that buy the cheap stuff. It's not, it's, it looks like iron. It sounds like iron. You, you know, you tap it. It sounds like iron. But when the storms come and the buildings fall, that ain't iron. A different composition. It's the cheap stuff. You see? You got to get the good stuff. The good iron. The real iron. And iron sharpens iron. It's... You can get away... I, 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 I say this lightly. Very lightly. You could get away with the cheap iron. You might even get away with the Nerf ball. You might even get away with the rubber. But when the storm comes, iron will be exposed. The cheap iron will be exposed. The rubber will be exposed. The balsa wood will be exposed. Through a fall. You see? Through destruction. But the iron, 
that will be fully exposed for all to see and glorify the Lord. We have this Old Testament example of this very thing. They were defeated. Israel was defeated. The formula wasn't right. Oh, but the Lord commanded us. Yeah, he commanded before you were afraid. He commanded before your unbelief. He commanded, absolutely. Did he change his mind? No, you changed your heart. Wrong formula. Verse 45, Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice, nor give, nor give ear to you. You see? God's silence was reactionary. You see? Dull ears always are precursory to God's silence. Dull ears. Now, dull ears are a result of hard hearts. You see, you must, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, my friend, you must keep your hearts soft in these last days. Protect your hearts. Because the heart of men will fail. And in the last days, it is prophesied to happen. These things must happen. Hearts are going to get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. But you must protect yours. Keep it nice and soft in the hands of the Lord. And if you are listening and you know that you have a little hardness of heart, repent. Repent and change your ways. You know what the Lord says through his word? He'll give you a new heart and a new mind. You know what that's called? The circumcision. You see? And your heart is nice and soft in the hands of the potter. But look what happens. In verse 45, they returned and wept before the Lord. You look at that and you're like, wow, look, they returned to the Lord. They're weeping before him. That's a good thing. But the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. You see? Now, as a result, they have to reap what they sow. And then you get 40 years. An 11-day journey becomes 40 years. Whoa. Now, after 40 years, they, they believe once again. They believe. But at what cost? Look what it took. You see? At what a great, great cost. Look at the remnant of Corinth. How beautiful it is to see what the Lord is teaching this remnant of Corinth through the vessel Paul. What the Lord is teaching and pouring into the remnant of Corinth. Yes, it's beautiful. But at what cost? What cost? Look at the separation. Look at this. How beautiful it is to see this separation. But at the same time, it's like, man, it's the church took a blow. The church took a blow in Corinth. But Israel took a blow too. Judah took a blow too. In order for the remnant to be exposed. There's suffering behind that. Old Testament and New Testament. These things must happen. It's beautiful. Victorious for sure. Absolutely. But in order for this victory in the camp of Israel. Certain things have to happen. The chastisement has to come. Look at a beautiful, obedient child. You ever gone to a restaurant and you see the crazy kids running all over the place and you're like, man, the parents not even spank these kids? They're running around all over the place. They're, 
they're like at five tables down and they're like grabbing your fork. You're like, what? I mean, it's illegal if you beat the kid, but it's like, hey, parent, are you going to beat these kids or what? I mean, not to a bloody pulp, but spank them. Are you going to discipline your kids? Fool. And the parents don't do that. But then you look to your other side and you see these obedient children. And they look they're like a little four-year-old with a knife, a steak knife, a real, not a plastic one, a real steak knife, cutting his steak. The little baby girl cutting her pork chop, nice and obedient. You know, everything's like, wow, they drink their, grab their glass of water, glass of milk. They grab it and they drink it, no spills. Not to say like, wow, there's, those parents beat their kids. <laughs> not to come off like that. But no, those parents, they discipline their kids. They teach their kids. They pour into their kids. And you look at these other kids like, wow, who's the disciplinarian in this house? Nobody. The TV, Oprah. That's the disciplinary in the house. You see? Oh, but the dad. Oh, let's be gracious and merciful. Okay, let me talk to the dad. Hey, dad, how's your walk with Christ? Who's Christ? Oh, I'm a Christian. Okay, how's your walk with Christ? Oh, it's okay, but I also like my crack. I like Buddha. I like pornography. Okay, there you go. You see? Proof is in the pudding. Proof is in the pudding. Now, it came at a heavy cost for Israel to learn this lesson, to believe once again. It came at a very heavy cost. But praise the Lord for the chastisement. So many times people, they want victory without chastisement. And we read the Bible and victory comes through chastisement. We want to omit the very thing that the Lord uses to shape us. Chastisement. We want to omit those things. But that's how victory comes most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't. Very rarely. But most of the time, it comes through chastisement because we're in these earth suits. You and me, we're in the flesh, but we're not of the flesh. There are things we have to learn how to cope and deal and I don't want to say manage. But how to live in these earth suits, in these fleshly bodies, and yield them, give them 100% to the Lord. And a lot of times that, that learning in the wilderness, it happens through chastisement. But the church, church today, we don't like chastisement. We don't want the chastisement. We want the victories. We want the blessings. We want the good. We want this. But oh no, I don't like the spankings though. I don't like the spankings. So I'm just, I'm not going to read these passages. Look, I'm going to read this. Okay, this is good. This is pleasing to my soul. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to do my crack. I'm going to read this. I'm going to do my meth. I'm going to read this. I'm going to do my gambling. I'm going to read this. I'm going to do my sex. I'm going to read this. I'm going to go to the strip clubs. I'm going to read this. I'm going to have girlfriend number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have my STDs. I'm going to do this. I'm going to worship Buddha. I'm going to do this. Wait, the wrong formula. Judgment comes first in the house of God. You see? Now we understand that the mess we see in the church today must come and it'll get worse. In order for scripture to be fulfilled, all of scripture, every jot, every tittle, the church must be a mess. 
Pastors must be a mess. Christians must be a mess. What do we see in the church today? A mess. What do we see in Christian homes today? A mess. Behold the last days. The remnant shining bright. Shining bright, just like a Goshen. You see, there's light in Goshen. And so we see this in closing, verse 46. So you remained in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. Now, you read this like, wow. <laughs> I, I thought this was supposed to be good. <laughs> you know, Moses, I thought, I thought this was your message of encouragement to Israel before, before, before they enter the promised land. Come on. Moses, I thought this was good. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He's telling Israel, remember. Yes, there's, there's pain in memory. I mean, look at you, your own carnal nature. You might be walking according to the spirits today, and I praise the Lord with you. But what about when you walked according to the flesh? Do you remember? And not remember like, oh yeah, that was great. I remember when I did that. That was great. That's, I don't mean remember like, remember like that. I remember the shame that you brought to the Lord and how the Lord responded and how the Lord chastised you and disciplined you. Do you remember that? As painful as it is? Because if you do, I also say praise be to the Lord. Because those very memories can be the very things, the roadblocks for when you're presented with this sin again. Oh, you want this crack? No way. Because I went down that road and no more. You want this meth? No way. I went down that road and I remember the chastisement. No way. I don't want that anymore. Girl calls you. Hey, look, you know, no one's going to find out. You want to go do this? No way. Because I remember that. You want to go to the strip club? No way. Because I remember, you see. You want to go to worship Buddha with me? No way. The Lord messed me up. Praise be to the Lord for his chastisement. The majority, they refuse the chastisement, but the remnant, they not only welcome the chastisement, but I'll read it again from Hebrews 12 and verse 11. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. So there's the, look, this isn't joyful right now, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The remnant have the peaceable fruit of righteousness and are trained. And this peaceable fruit of righteousness, it's a byproduct of chastisement. The very thing that the majority refuses. The very thing that leaven refuses. The very thing that wickedness refuses is the very thing that the Lord uses to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is what Moses is telling the people. Remember this. Remember, 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 remember. And that's what I say to you. Remember these things, beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.